0: Hey everybody, welcome back to season three of Difficult Conversations by Supply the Why. We're gonna keep the momentum rolling. We have an amazing show lined up for you tonight. We have a man that is, is a career educator. He is a pillar in the community and he is somebody that meant a lot to a lot of different people and still does. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Paul Monty, How you doing, Mr. Monty?
1: Good evening,
0: everyone. Good evening, Dean. And thank you for having me on. It's uh, the pleasure's mine. Uh, We call you by your first name, so I'll be calling you Mr. Monty throughout the entire the entire (laughs) broadcast. It's just how I know you. It's just I I just couldn't fathom um, because of the respect I have for you, um, even attempting to call you by your first name. So don't ask because I'm not going to do it. And. show is, um, it's difficult, but it's a little different than things that I've done in the past where we are going to be talking about duty, honor, and sacrifice that comes along with not only military members, but military families as well. So here's a little clip to tell you a little bit about Mr. Marnie and why he is the perfect person to have this conversation with. So check this out.
1: True. Mm-hmm. I Drive Your true. I hope you don't mind, I hope you don't mind I Drive Your Truck Lee Bryce has a number one country music song called uh, I Drive Your Truck And uh, that all began uh, when uh, Connie Harrington, a songwriter from Nashville, Tennessee, uh, heard me doing a radio interview with NPR Radio uh, for Memorial Day in 2011. Um, And uh, during the interview, uh, they asked me how I keep my son close, and one of the ways I said was I drive your truck. Connie ended up writing that line down while she was driving on the highway, and just about drove off the highway as tears filled their eyes. and uh, Then they found Lee Bryce and he recorded it and became number one. Uh, Then they tried to search for me. After two years they finally were able to find out who did the interview and Connie called me and went down to Nashville for the uh, number one party and uh, that's how it all came to be. That's Jared's truck. It's a Dodge Ram 2001. I drive it every day. This is my vehicle even though it burns a lot of gas it's um it's comforting for me to be in the vehicle that he rode and uh so you know i I do keep it up i did put a new engine in it last september um, just to keep it on the road and i will keep it on the road as long as i possibly can most comfortable thing is uh, you know having his dna around me
0: all right so mr monzie tell us about jared wow
1: Tell you about jared uh there's so much to tell um kind of quickly i guess um jared was always a very adventurous kid Um, there was never a tree that was too tall or a hill too high or a river, a creek too wide for him to climb up or go over. Um, Always on the adventure, love that. And as he grew that same kind of behavior, you know, continued and continued. Um, One of the things I think the most important thing that I noticed about him growing up, of the fact that he had this tremendous humility his team would win a trophy in baseball or basketball and you know have their picture taken And where is he he's hiding in the back somewhere he's not the kid holding the trophy up that's that wasn't him um one year he won the uh new england weightlifting championship in the under 17 division um he wouldn't allow me to go to the championship he told me he was just going to to watch, and yet he was in it, and he won. I didn't even find out he won until after he died. And I was cleaning out his room, and under his bed was a box full of trophies. Basketball trophies, baseball trophies, soccer trophies. And then there was this three-foot-tall trophy of a weightlifter, and the brass plaque on it said, new england weightlifting championship first place under 17 division jared Monty. uh that's who he was
0: never said a word
1: not a word not a word he had uh he actually ended up with uh 35 medals from the military never wore them they all went in a sock drawer somewhere um one day he came home from school And uh, he asked me, Hey, dad, uh, can I cut down one of those trees in the front yard? I had a half a dozen spruce trees in the front yard. I was going to get rid of them because they blocked blocked my view. So, um, you know, I said, well, you know, what do you want that for? He said, well, me and the guys, we want to have our own Christmas tree. Fine. Okay. Go ahead, son. Again, after he died, one of his buddies came up and said to me, Mr. March, you remember the Christmas tree? And I said, yeah, what about it? He said, well, that wasn't for us guys. Jared had found a single mom in town with three kids, and they weren't going to have a Christmas at all. So he brought the tree to her, bought a stand for it, bought lights for it and decorations, then bought presents for her and for the kids, and then Christmas Day went over there and cooked Christmas dinner for her and the kids and told nobody about it. And this kind of scenario played throughout his entire life. Um, He lived his life by three basic principles. And every time I speak about him, I mention them because they're so important and they're so important for kids today. First one was um, always try your hardest. And he did that. And it didn't matter whether it was sports, schoolwork, or anything else. The kid always tried his hardest. The second principle he lived by was never give up. That was another thing that he did. Again, whether it was sports or school, if he's having trouble with math. He didn't give up and throw the book aside. He went at it and went at it and went at it because he wouldn't give up ever, no matter what. And his last principle, probably the most important one was always do the right thing. And so when he saw something wrong, he did the right thing. One day he was down in uh, Fayetteville, North Carolina, when he was he was stationed with uh, the 82nd Airborne, and he and his buddy were in downtown Fayetteville. It was a cold winter night, and they were walking along, and there was a homeless guy in the street, and he asked the boys if he could have some money to buy a cup of coffee. Well, Jared takes off this brand new Abercrombie and Fitch shirt that he had just gotten. And hands it to the guy and said, the coffee will keep you warm for 10 minutes. This shirt will keep you warm all night. That's that's what he did. It was the right thing to do. Um, Incredible. Yeah. I, I came home one day. I remember um, I looked in his bedroom and his bed was gone. And when I got to speak with Jared, where's your bed? Dad, one of my friends got kicked out of his house, and he's living at somebody else's house. But he has to sleep on the floor, so I gave him my bed, Dad, because I don't mind sleeping on the floor. This is—I don't know who does these kinds of things. I, again, in North Carolina, um, he and his buddies—they had a—they had their own place to live, so they furnished it. They went out and spent a lot of money on furniture. His two other roommates come home and. The kitchen set is missing. Jared comes home and he's, Monty, where's the kitchen set? Well, I was over one of my soldiers' houses today and his kids were eating on the floor. I figured they needed it more than we did. And then he reimbursed the two guys for their their part of buying the kitchen set. These these are all stories that permeate through his whole life. When, When we sent him care packages, when he was in Kosovo, when he was in Korea when he was in Afghanistan, he'd open him up and pass everything out, not just to his soldier buddies, but mostly to the children in the area where he was, Uh, because it was the right thing to do. And when you come to the day of the end of his life, what happened? Well, there's a soldier out there in the middle of nowhere being shot at by the enemy with no cover whatsoever. And he gets up and he runs out to save him, not once, not twice, but three times. And why did he do that? Because it was the right thing to do. And because going out three times was because he had to try his hardest and because he couldn't give up. And those principles ended up costing him his life. That's what I deal with. Uh -uh. And I often ask myself that I do the right thing.
0: How so? We're
1: bringing him up to be that way. Maybe he'd be alive today. That's the thing I have to live with.
0: Well, Mister Monty, I, I I can tell you on behalf of everybody watching, on behalf of anybody who's ever met you, you can't put that on yourself by raising. You can't. You you by raising. A child to be honorable. This is, I mean, I I'm, I have three young kids, and I only hope that my children end up being a fraction as honorable as what you're describing. And
1: you know, Dean, I, I don't make up stories. These are true stories, and I could I, I, I could I, I, go I, on and on and on. It's um. You so want to I'm, talk about courage, Dean? So, you're a basketball player.
0: Yeah, once upon a time.
1: My son was a fabulous basketball player. He led the CYO league in scoring. But when he went to middle school, he was the last person cut from the basketball team. All the other players on the basketball team decided they were going to quit the team because Monty didn't make the team. He got them together and screamed at them and said, you're not quitting any team. You're on the team Don't worry about me. The next year, he tried out again. He was again the last cut. Okay, time to give up, right? Oh no. The third year, his last year in middle school, he tried out again. He was the last cut. But the coach asked him if he would stay on and be the team manager, keep the books, that he could warm up with the team before games, but he couldn't play. He had no uniform. He did that. And after the second game, the coach found a uniform for him so he wouldn't look funny in the warmups. And then after the third game, he started playing in mop-up time. And by the end of the season, he was outscoring some of the starters. And that coach, said at the awards night at the end of school <clears throat> that jared Monty was the biggest mistake he ever made in his 25-year coaching career jared never complained he just kept trying he couldn't give up
0: i'm i'm speechless i have to live with
1: it you're speechless
0: So let me ask you this so at some point there must have been a conversation between you and jared when he said dad this is what i want to do after high school can you take us through that
1: yeah when he was uh when he was a junior in high school he came home and said dad i want to join the military and i said whoa i don't think so um You're going to college, son, you got great grades. Uh, But dad, um, you can't afford to pay my tuition. I said, Jared, look, I'll just take on another job. Don't worry about it. Uh, But dad, you're already working two and three jobs. Let me do this. Now, because he was only 17 at the time, I had to sign his papers, Um, and I did. So between his junior and senior year in high school, while all his buddies were out at the swimming hole and having a great time, he was at Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri in the dirt, dust, heat, and humidity doing the first half of his basic. And then after senior year, he switched over from the guard to the regular army i had great trepidation i did but boy he had the best arguments in the world what can i say that's what my son wanted
0: so he makes it do basic he gets assigned his initial duty what so what what was his initial duty when he got assigned out of basic uh
1: He went to um, Fort Sill, Oklahoma um, as a 13F, 13 Fox, um, basically a forward observer, Mm -hmm. which didn't make me happy either, because we used to call them the suicide squad, because what they do is they operate behind enemy lines, and they call in air support. They call in artillery mortars, um, but they're always operating behind enemy lines, so they're always in danger. So there's a wonderful, incredible building at at, um, Fort Sill, Oklahoma. It's a huge building, brand new. It's the most advanced forward observer school in the world. In fact, you know, our Native allies, they send their soldiers over there to train. And what amazes me is in a course, been there for the dedication. When you drive around Fort Sill, all of the buildings are named after great generals. And then you have this biggest, newest building that's named after this sergeant. And it's like, wow, what a place to be. But um, yeah, his first assignment was out there at uh, at Fort Sill. Then it was off to Fort Bragg uh, with the 82nd Airborne. Then he was deployed to South Korea, and then redeployed again to South Korea to a different base. Then deployed to Kosovo um, for that, and then 2003 deployed to Afghanistan for 0304, and back home, and then redeployed back to Afghanistan um, for 06.
0: Well, Mr. Monty, if I could, the chat, as I'm sure you can imagine, is lighting up right now. Um, There's one comment that's really jumping out at me right now. It's from, uh, from Matt. Matt says, as a combat infantryman and someone who has felt some loss and similar feelings as Mr. Monty, you have to remember that what makes these people great and honorable is what you love about them. If he wasn't that way, it wouldn't mean he would survive. It would mean he wasn't him. It's hard to explain in writing, but it's important. And um, I just think that that's such a wonderful, thoughtful comment. Um, I don't know the gentleman that that um, that put that in there, but um, but thank you, thank you, Matt, for uh, for that thoughtful comment. You know,
1: uh, you know, you know. The most important thing to me is when those that served with him get in contact with me, and they still are after all these years and tell the wonderful stories of him. And it's not always so much as, you know, the G.I. Joe stuff, because he wasn't a G.I. Joe, he was just the opposite. Um, But the stories of the things he did and how he made other soldiers better soldiers, like they were climbing a mountain in Afghanistan and they had a new recruit with them. And this kid kept lagging, lagging behind, lagging behind, who Jared, who always led from the front, went back to see what was going on with the kid. And he said, Sergeant Monty, I can't make it. I can't do this. Now they're all carrying 70 pound packs. But Jared took the kid's pack off his back and put it on his own back with his own 70 pound pack and walked the kid up the hill. And when they got close enough to the rest of the group who had stopped to rest, Jared took the kid's pack off, put it back on him and allowed the kid to walk into the group with the pack on and never said a word.
0: Who does that stuff? Somebody who embodies what true leadership is, does that. Yeah. You're gonna make me cry here. you know what you might not be the only one by the time this is over mr money it's um obviously there are no words but you have to know how much what you're sharing means to everybody if it means it means so much so a lot of your former students are chiming in right now so class of 1996 i believe 97 maybe
1: Hi,
0: Aaron. Yep. Yep. And this gentleman right here, um, this is somebody who's on the show monthly. Um, he is a former military vet. Well, he's a military vet, and he is a detective sergeant in a uh, jurisdiction north of Boston. And he says, prior to you going live, I watched a video of. If I watched a video honoring your son's memories, it sounds like he was an honorable man. And I want to say thank you for keeping his memories alive. My last duty station was in the Army, 10th Mountain Division. Climb to glory. God bless.
1: Thank you, Michael. Climb to glory. That's the motto of the 10th Mountain.
0: Oh, is it? OK. Yeah. Well, I figured it had some sort of meaning. Mike, mikes um, he's good like that. He's always very thoughtful in his comments. Um, this is another class of 1996, I believe, alumnus, right here.
1: Elena Perlin. How are you, Elena?
0: Yep. Great student. Yep. And and again, we could go on and on and on. So, so talk to me about this. So now he's in it. He's in it to win it. He's deployed. How did this affect your family? Well,
1: you know... Every day, you just you have hot flutters. Every day, you don't know. You know you're in a you're in a your child's in a war. You never know what's going to happen. The enemy's planting, you know. um, Let's say EODs, but it's not the right thing. uh, you know, explosions all over the place. I mean, I, I know so many families whose child was killed by an IED. Yep. Right, um, an
0: explosive device. Yep.
1: And it's, it's nothing they ever expected.
0: Um,
1: I, I remember distinctly being in my classroom at Stoughton High on September 11th, 2001. When over the intercom, they told us all to put our TVs on. And they showed the plane crashing into Well, they showed the damage that was done by the plane that crashed into the uh, Twin Towers. And uh, I turned around and looked at my class. At that particular point, I had freshman. And they were like, you know, it was, it was, it was something that they looked at with horror. But their emotions were a little different than my next class that came in, which was made of juniors and seniors. And their take on it was so very different. Because they knew that many of them would be going to war because they were 16, 17 and 18 years old.
0: Um,
1: And then my own thoughts, my son's going to war. And it's just,
0: it's a scary thing. I remember that day well. Um, I was, so 2001, I was 25 years old I was still in the uh, trying to find myself phase of my life. I was doing door-to-door sales. And I found myself in downtown Boston, Chinatown, right on the border there. And I walked into a place called Biff's Tavern. I don't know, 9.30, 10 a.m., Some right around when all this was going on. Mm-hmm. And it felt wrong as soon as you walked in. It was one of those things, like I know what it is now Now that I'm a police officer. You you, you know to to embrace that feeling and to trust that feeling of something just not being right. But before I was a cop, I didn't really, I couldn't quantify what that was about. So I walk in, and like I said, it's in the morning. I see all these people in this bar at this time in the morning. And I'm talking working people, people that look like they were in, you know, like construction workers, things like that. And they're all huddled around the bar area, but nobody's drinking. So I go over, looking to make a sale, looking to find, identify a manager or whatever. And I, and I happen to look over at the TV. And like you said, you see the damage From from one of the towers, and within a matter of minutes, downtown Boston turned into something like from out of a movie. I mean, people would started pouring out of buildings, chaos. People were screaming, yelling. You couldn't get on the you know I'm trying to you were all trying to get back on the subway so we get out of the city, and you couldn't get on the subway, and it was uh it was uh it it was it was like something out of a movie. You know, the amount of panic and fear and chaos. That was uh, that was going through everybody there, and and it's one of those things, you know. Everybody always has that conversation. Where were you when yep. you, you found out that news? And and that's, that's my story. I, I was in downtown Boston, and I think the real panic set in when people realized that 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 the planes had originated from Boston. That's wow. when people. That's when it, everything just went haywire. So, yeah. um,
1: you know, Dean, so many, so many young men and women saw that happen, rushed down to the recruiter's office and joined the military. Um, There was a tremendous rush. Because of course, um, we have an all voluntary military, we don't have a draft situation.
0: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: And they went and they went because they love this country. They didn't go because someone kicked them in the butt and said, Hey, get in there, get in the service. They went because they love the country. And so many of them that came home, came home so damaged. Something that people really don't understand that you can be shot or blown up and come home damaged in that way that you've lost an arm or a leg or whatever. But it's the invisible damage. It's the PTSD um, that the sights and things that you see and the things that you do. We bring up our children with good values. Don't hurt anybody. Don't kill. And then we put a uniform on them and we put a gun in their hands and send them out to kill. And how does a young person that's been taught all their life that killing is bad deal with the fact that now they're killing and they're seeing their friends killed and they're seeing children killed. And how do you, how do they deal with that? How would you deal with that? Um, That's the PTSD monster that's there, that they come home with and why some of them are just so incredibly Lack of a better term, messed up. They need help.
0: Well, it's a perfect segue to what I was going to ask you next. You know, I mean, you know, you have all these young people with this unbelievable sense of duty and honor, and they've sacrificed things that that the average person couldn't even fathom that the human body even contains. Are we doing enough for our veterans when they rotate back home?
1: No. Nope. Short answer. Easy. No. We're not. The VA system, as hard as it tries, is not structured to help these young men and women. Uh, First of all, many of them will not seek help.
0: What do we need more of, Mr. Monty? I'm sorry, but.
1: We we need more mental health institutions to help them. We need to get rid of the stigma of mental health that we have, and it is. I've known so many of these guys. I deal with them all the time. Um, they don't want to go because it's a stigma on their life that someone thinks they're crazy or something. They don't want to deal with that. And so they don't grow, grow, go to these facilities. The military could step in. And they could step in as soon as these soldiers come home or even before they come home and start a process there of trying to bring them back to civilian life, trying to desensitize them from what they've seen and what they've done. That's what really needs to be done. And of course that takes money. And I think a lot of our uh, politicians, and I don't like to get into politics, but they would rather spend money on guns and bombs and planes and ships than on the military. And the kids, they just don't they don't get it they just don't get it
0: and i I find that that's a that's a common theme with people. again, this is not to offend anybody out there and and i'm I'm just going to put it out there. I never served in the military, but in my capacity in my day job you you, you see, you hear, you smell things that the human body was not meant no. to endure correct and um and people unless you've been in situations like that it's very difficult to explain to people um the way that that can uh consume you
1: you know dean i belong to an organization called 22 kill and people look at that and say oh we're going to kill people no that number came from the fact that every single day 22 veterans commit suicide every day not every month every day 22 veterans kill themselves because they can't get help think about that think about 22 people in your life killing themselves it's um it's sad I i i deal with a lot of those people as well
0: so really quick you know if you're just joining us again this is uh difficult conversation season three i'm here with mr monty and we're discussing duty honor and sacrifice if you know a military veteran that needs some assistance please check out homebase.org and vetcenter.va.gov. just a few places that you can start the process of trying to get people help that need help um we have i just can't think of a better way to start the week of thanksgiving than to talk about the people that allow us to have Thanksgiving and allow us to live the way we live and to enjoy the freedoms that we enjoy. But those people that do that, it comes at a price. A very high price. Make sure that we're there for them the way that they've been there for us. So just please um, keep that in mind. Go ahead, Mr. Please go on.
1: I know you've been through this too, There's a lot of people who like to pay lip service to this stuff, you know, but they don't want to expend the energy or whatever to help. Um, They might, might throw 10 bucks or 20 bucks in a, in some kind of a, you know, charity fund, but they don't want to get involved. And that's, that's a shame because they, these young men and women, you know, I'm reminded of the, the old old saying here that um, we don't have freedom of speech because some newspaper prints stuff. It's the soldier that gives us freedom of speech. It's the soldier that gives us freedom of religion and freedom to assemble and all the freedoms that we have come from that casket that's draped with American flag. That's where it comes from. It's their blood that gives us the freedoms we have in this country. And if we don't unite this country and support our military, then this country is not gonna last.
0: It won't. Well, Mr. Monty, we got, a, we got a comment from Stephanie. She says, Mr. Monty, from one Gold Star family to another, Thank you for your continued fight for our veterans. And for those of you out there that are watching, and if you don't know what a Gold Star family is, that is a club that nobody wants to be a member of. That is, well, Mr. Monte, I'll let you.
1: I just want to say, God bless you, Stephanie. I'm so sorry for your loss. So sorry you had to join our club. It's not a very good club. It's just what we have to endure. You mentioned, uh, you mentioned sacrifice. People just don't understand the sacrifices that these young men and women have. You know, they're they're in a mud pit or in a hot desert or freezing their butts off somewhere in some country they hardly ever heard of. Um, Instead of being home for their birthday or Christmas or Thanksgiving or July 4th or New Year's or anything else. They leave, they go over there, um, leave a pregnant wife at home, she has a baby. They don't even see their own child for a year or or more. And in some cases, they never got to see their their child, ever. And it's not just the soldiers that sacrifice, go back a level to the families. And what they sacrifice, having that empty chair at Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's, and just worrying every day and every night and hoping that their their loved one will come home safely. That's sacrifice. And then when you become a gold star, I like to tell people that when you lose your parents, and I've lost both of mine, but what I lost was my past. When I think of my parents, I think of sitting around my mom's table at thanksgiving with all of us 13 children and all of our spouses and children such a wonderful time um, and you know i think of the things i did with my dad that's the past that's where i'm looking at but when you lose your child and i don't care if it's in war or any other way when you lose your child you lost your future. When I think of my son, sure, I think of the things that he did. But I also think about what would Thanksgiving be like now? If he were here? Would he be over my house? Or would I be over his? On July fourth, would we be having a picnic in the backyard? Will we be going fishing? I'll go to Red Sox or Bruins, Celtics game. Um, those things I'll never have. I'll never have my son's children, my grandchildren sitting on my lap. I lost my future. When I open the door of the future, it's just black. It's not there. That's what Gold Star families go through. The loss of their future. And yes, I have two other children and I adore them, but I, I miss my Jared. Sorry.
0: I'm sorry. I, you don't have to protest me. with body. It's all right. More one? Yeah, you can hand me what I wish I wish you could. So now that I'm a complete puddle, uh, Matt says veterans need access to mental health services and the VA sets up hurdles. Even if a veteran wants help. So beyond the stigmas, veterans need access. Amen to that. Matt, if there's anything, again, if you could put something in the comments, ways that we can help, because I can tell you right now, a lot of us don't know the extent of, of of these issues. You know, I know a little bit more than probably the average person because a lot of times, like in uh, most problems in societies, they call the cops to kind of mop up when nobody can figure out what to do with, um, with a potential issue. But by the time it gets to us, um, I'm sure a lot of things could have been put in place to prevent it from getting to that point. Uh, Mike says... Amen, Mr. Monty. It's too bad that folks forget about America's veterans. Thanks for sharing. My heart aches listening to your words.
1: You know, Dean, you mentioned the mental health crisis in this country. A few weeks ago, some policeman shot a kid to death. He was brandishing a knife, and I'm not saying they were right or wrong. But the kid had definitely had mental health issues. And he didn't get help. And we can even go back to the uh, school slayings in Connecticut. That kid had mental health issues. And he didn't get help. And the mental health system in this country is broken, badly
0: broken. Believe me, I know. It's do no. not in a police officer definitely. it's it's um, I would say conservatively, eighty percent of the calls that we are involved with have some sort of a mental health component. when you also add in substance abuse, um both drug and alcohol, which of course, if you if you are dependent on it, that, that is a, that is a mental health issue. Um, I don't know what what the answer is. I don't know how to fix this. I know they closed a lot of these mental hospitals years ago, even before I was on the job. Yep, And this is the ripple effect is what we're seeing now. We have all these people that just they just don't have the, the resources. They don't have the, anything it takes in order to, to function in society properly with their mental health issues. Now you add in our veterans, like we spoke about earlier in the show, that are forced to see, hear, do, smell, possibly taste things that will change you forever in ways that um that are unspeakable all right so matt's back he's got more information for us since the va is a big machine if you call in and try to set up an appointment they ask for a referral then you have to call another number and another number if you are struggling the last thing you need is a runaround in hoops
1: absolutely I- true Matt. absolutely true and you know what happens often way too often these vets and other people they go to a mental health facility and they do see someone and they walk out with a handful of prescriptions for drugs not the help they need but prescriptions for drugs because that's the easy way to take care of things fill them up with drugs get them so loopy that they don't know You know, that they sit around the house in a chair watching mindless television or something. And I've seen it personally over and over again. I belong to a lot of groups, a lot of veterans groups. And uh, I hear their stories often. And this is so common. Drugs is the answer. Drugs is not the answer. It isn't. It's facilities that can help people. That's the answer
0: but they go to the drugs as a coping mechanism to kind of numb whatever it is or to help push back whatever it is that um, yep. that seems to be overwhelming them, right? Right. So... Matt's back again. Mr. Marnie says, a lot of veterans find more support from nonprofits that go outside the VA to find immediate, non-traditional treatments. But these orgs need support and help. Do your research and support good orgs. So Matt, I'm going to speak to that. And I'm with you on the do your research and all that stuff. But we also got to keep in mind the nature of people. Like Mr. Marty said at the outset, the average person, though everybody's feeling it right at this moment, is only going to make themselves just slightly uncomfortable if at best in order to help other people. It's just not human nature. It's not. So if you could, please, you know, put a little, you know, if you could put put a little bit more in there, and I promise you, I'll pump this out on Supply of the Y, I'll pump it out on my on my personal platforms, and um, and I and I will I will do my part and then some. I will make myself uncomfortable to help whatever causes can 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 just even just a little bit take alleviate some of these issues because this I mean this is a real problem.
1: You know, Dean Matt is so correct. Uh... A friend of mine runs an organization, nonprofit organization out in Leominster. It's called Vets Helping Vets. And what they do is they get, they have an open house kind of thing. Everybody comes in, sits down, they're all vets, and they talk with each other, and they have an open mic. And any one of these vets that wants to come up and talk on the mic, they do that. They tell their stories. And the number of vets that have come back to meetings that have come up to that mic and said this group saved my life it's amazing that they get to to talk to someone that understands what they went through and that kind of an organization needs help and needs support
0: absolutely so i'm just going to hit the chat real quick um a a great supporter of veterans a, a man who honors military veterans every single day mike said not everybody forgets our military veterans and he and he isn't just talking the talk man he is walking the walk he's out there he's running with his american flag and he's always dedicating runs and certain distances to um the 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 fallen veterans to I mean, his father was a veteran but um but mike i hear you man i hear you and i and i know not everybody forgets it but this problem is so large and it's so thick we need more right we need more. So, Mr. Money, do you have any causes that are, I mean, important to you, anything that, that, any charities that you are involved in or anything like that? Well, I'm in a lot of them, but
1: I do run three of my own. Um, we have three programs. We like to say that we take care of vets from cradle to death and um, cradle to grave. Um, our first program is called Celebrate the Military Child, where we try to give the children of soldiers who are deployed something that they can hang on to. For example, um, we gave this Christmas party that was just awesome. Um, one or both of the parents were deployed, and we had the kids in. We had an armory set up. and um, The kids were given a large box, all decorated with wrapping paper, and sent around to all these different tables, and the kids were allowed to pick up things, coloring books and crayons and stuffed animals and toys, games, and fill their box. Um, The next section that they would go to was filled with all kinds of hygiene stuff, uh, soaps and shampoos and whatever kinds of things that was mostly for their parents that were guiding them around. And the parents also got a box and they filled their box with that stuff. And then they went to a third section, which was all food products. And they filled up their box and no one left there with, uh, with an empty box. Everyone left with at least two boxes full. Um, we gave a baby shower for pregnant military moms. Um, you know, the military you only stay in a base for two years and then they move you out. So they didn't have a group, so to speak, that, that they got to know well enough that they would give them a baby shower. So we did it. And uh, every mom walked out of there with over a thousand dollars worth of stuff from pampers and wipes and onesies all the way up to walking out with strollers and cribs and that kind of stuff. Um, It's just so rewarding. The last two years, we've given bicycles to um, Mass Military Support Foundation, where they had a big Christmas party for deployed military. And um, we were able to give them bicycles for Christmas. So that that's one of our programs that we run that we're so proud of. Our second program is um, flags for vets. Um, In that program, after a four and a half year battle with the VA, we were given permission to put flags in all the graves um, in the Mass National Cemetery in Bourne, where previously no flags were allowed. But we ended up getting permission, provided that we buy all the flags, we put them all in, we take them all out, and we store them. So that was the challenge, and that we did. And this past Um, Veterans Day, we put 77,000 flags in that cemetery and we do it every Memorial Day and every Veterans Day. And right now we're actually in the process of buying 80,000 new flags uh, because the ones we've been using are getting worn. So we're trying to do some fundraising for that, um, to buy our our new flags. Uh, No, the government does not pay for the flags. No, the government does not subsidize us in any way we do it. Um, And our third program is our scholarship program. This past year, we were able to give out $14,000 in scholarships. We gave, um, let me see, four $2,000 scholarships at my son's high school and um, three $2,000 scholarships um, at Fort Drum, New York, which is Jared's last duty station. So yeah, I, I run I run three charities myself, and then I belong to other ones. Um, uh, I'm not thinking of all the names here running around in
0: my head. but uh. Well, Mr. Monty, I know this is going to seem um, <laughs> like the shoes on the other foot here. Let me tell you, this isn't a quiz. You know what I mean? As much as I would love to turn around to somebody who was a teacher in high school and tell them that I'm quizzing you, this is not a quiz. So if you can't come up with it right now, no big deal. What you can do is, as you think of them, just reach out to me and I will pump these out on the Supply to Why page okay. as they come out. So, so don't feel like you gotta, you got to rattle them all off now. Um, yeah. you know? well, there's Mass Foreign
1: Heroes in Boston, um, which um, also has another program called um, Veterans Edge, where they help veterans find jobs and support. There's Mass Military Heroes. There's um, Friends of Massachusetts Military, you know, I'm on the board of directors on a bunch of these, and you know they're all good. I wouldn't be there if they weren't.
0: Well, Mr. Monty, I got a great question for you. It says, yeah. Mr. Monty, do you accept help with the flag placement? We would love to get our family and kids involved, if that's possible. I don't know if there's an age thing or what.
1: We have no age thing. The uh, The pride that we have is the number of people that show up to help us, all voluntary, don't have to register. We always do it the Saturday before Memorial Day, the Saturday before Veterans Day. We pick up the flags on the Sunday after Memorial Day, the Sunday after Veterans Day. Um, We've had as many as 5,000 people down there helping us putting the flags in, which is amazing. But what's most amazing is who comes and helps us. We've had people in their 90s down there um, trying to put a flag on their loved one's grave. We have babies and strollers. We have entire families, the grandparents, the parents and the kids. We have motorcycle clubs that come. We have football teams and hockey teams that come and help us out. Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, old, young, in between. Um, it's such a great cross section of America and shows that yeah, there's a lot of people out there that really do care, but they need something to rally around. and. They rally around this project and come down so a little more difficult this year with covid we just did it for veterans day we had to make all kinds of provisions in order to be able to do it but we did it we put in seventy-seven thousand flags and we took them all out so it's a it's a great program we're very very proud of
0: well i like i said uh you have my word um first of all you're gonna i mean first things first you're gonna get a donation from supply the y um, I'm going to, um, let me be the first to, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a $100 donation from Supply the Y just to get things started. And I would encourage others, again, give what you can. You know, if you can only give a couple bucks, then a couple bucks. Like there's no, there's no judgment here. You know, my father used to have a perfect saying for this exact scenario. My father used to say, some of something is better than none of nothing. And that's, that's right.
1: Let me me tell you something else, Dean. We accept no corporate donations. Um, I don't want to be beholden to some company that's going to give us a donation and then demand that we put their logo up. That's not what it's about. All our donations come from grassroots people. Some will give us $100, some will give us $20. And some little kid will show up with a jar full of coins that he saved all year long and put it in the donation bottle. And we will reach our goal we need to we need to get eighty thousand dollars to get our new flags it's a buck a flag but we'll get it we'll get it thanks to the generosity of the wonderful people of this great country
0: well i i i'm 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 honored to be able to contribute just in some small part to this and it looks like we have somebody else that's already um looking to stand shoulder to shoulder with me on this karen from meeting house mill says meeting house mill gift shop will also donate so um yeah let's get this started right let's we're done the last 90 seconds of the show um, it's been right, anyone that wants
1: to donate let me give you a an address um, they want to send it to the SFC sergeant first-class Jared C Monty charitable foundation in care of Paul Monty 408 Center, C-E-N-T-E-R Street, Rainham, R-A-Y-N-H-A-M, Massachusetts, 02767. And you want to put in the memo area whether you want your donation to go to Flags for Vets, celebrate the military child, or scholarships. Or if you don't really care which one it goes to, just leave it blank and we'll put it where we need it we were not able to do any fundraising this year so our funds are down but we'll get there
0: well mr money i could i speak in, on behalf of everybody in the chat we hear you loud and clear and we're with you and
1: thank you for having me on i, I, uh, it.
0: I can't i can't thank you enough for coming on here and and i'm I, i'm sorry for ripping off the Band-Aid um, and, and, and exposing this but the good you did by being able to come on and share your story, especially a few days before Thanksgiving at a time where people really need to sit back and remember what that holiday is all about. I can't thank you enough for that, Mr. Marnie. You you made me a better person for having this conversation. And um, I, I just have all the respect in the world for you. I really do, man.
1: I got time for one more plug in here? Of course you do. OK. Um, a friend of mine, a kid I graduated from high school with, um, came to see me about writing a book about Jared. Now, I had already turned down three authors because I didn't want a G.I. Joe book. I didn't want a Forrest Gump book. So he asked me how to write it, and I said, you're going to write about the humanitarian Jared, and he did. And you can get the book on Barnes & Noble, or you can get it on Amazon. It's called See You on the High Ground, the Jared Monty story. Just have a box of Kleenex with you when you read it. It's an amazing story about an amazing man.
0: And again, folks, if you don't get all this information down, don't worry. We replay all the broadcast on the YouTube channel, on the Facebook channel, Apple, Amazon, and Spotify. This is most definitely going to be on all those. And I'm going to get with Mr. Monty afterwards, and I'm going to give an old teacher some homework and have him put all this down for me. You still want me to work. (laughs) Oh, I can't can't wait. you get a session if you don't get it done on time either. And, and, And... and I will make sure that I post all this information on, uh, on the supply of the Y page. All I ask is that you like it, you share it and you make sure that th- that we, uh, we make this all go viral. So Mr. Monty, on behalf of everybody that's in the audience, thank you again. We all love you and thanks and happy Thanksgiving, Mr. Monty.
1: Thank you for having me and happy holidays to everybody out there. Have a great Thanksgiving. I know it's a little tough this year, but, um, have
0: a good one. Well, that wraps up the that wraps up our episode for tonight, folks. Thanks for taking time away from your families. Um, I hope it was worthwhile. Again, we got a lot more con- coming up. Stay tuned to uh, Supply the why. We're gonna have a lot of difficult conversations. And if you have any ideas for um, episodes you want to see or questions you want to ask, you can find us at supplythewhy@gmail.com, at Facebook, YouTube, and of course Amazon. Apple, and Spotify podcasts. So good night, everybody. And we'll see you all next week for when we have our monthly meetup with Dr. Obed Magni and Mike Powell. Good night.